let me go ahead and pray for our time together, and then we'll, we'll jump in. God, just uh, want to thank you for who you are today. Thank you for uh, just the ability to laugh and to, to enjoy each other and have fun. And uh, thank you for uh, just participating for those that did today. And God, thank you for your grace on us, that you've given us the ability to laugh and enjoy each other. And God, I just pray right now as we get ready to open up your word, God, that you would lean in and that you would speak to us, that you would draw our hearts to you. That God, as, as we think about the hustle and the bustle of the season and the great things that the Christmas season is, God, that you help us just to remember the reason, to remember why we're here to celebrate today. So Lord, I just pray that you would uh, steady our hearts and uh, help us to, to, to hear your word today, Jesus. We love you and praise you. We ask this in your name. Amen. As we think about the Christmas season, I think I've shared with this with you guys before. Christmas is my absolute favorite season of the year. I mean, it's just everything about it. You've got, uh, you've got the lights. You've got the food. Um, you even, I love the gifts. I know, are you supposed to give gifts at Christmas? Gifts are my love language, like the five love languages. I love gifts. So I, I love finding the gifts under the tree. I love, I love the decorations. I love the lights. I think the lights are magnificent. One of our favorite things to do as a family is around Christmas season is you get to go and drive around town and look at all the Christmas light decorations that people have put up. And I just, I love this season. And, and, and I think the reason I like it is, is all these things, it kind of builds up this anticipation. Like all of these, all of these festivities and, and parties and, and, and decorations, all these things, they, they build up an anticipation for uh, Christmas, the celebration of, of Christmas. And, and I, I, I love it personally, and I want my kids to have that anticipation. I want my family to be excited and to be motivated and, and, and have that anticipation of what's coming. And uh, I, I had one of those, I don't know if you ever had those moments. I had one of those moments where it's like, wow, I'm such an idiot moments this past week. Like, I don't know if you ever had those, but I had one of those this past week. This past week, uh, the church we did last weekend, we did a float in the downtown lighted parade. All right. And so we got our float there and I'm walking around the parade and I'm looking at all the other floats. I think we've got some of these pictures of these other floats up here. And I'll be honest, I'm looking around at all of these floats and I'm thinking, man, look at that Coca-Cola truck. Like, like, do you know how many hours were spent putting that together? How many, how many dollars? Go ahead and uh, cycle through a couple more of these. Like, like, how amazing are these floats that people put together? They're, they're professional. They're creative. It's pretty remarkable how, what they do. In fact, there's even a couple of them that they will have characters with their floats. And so there's one where there was a, a, a stormtrooper. One of the floats had a stormtrooper. You got the stormtrooper there, Dawson? Oh, it had a stormtrooper in the parade. Uh, there's another float that had Buddy the Elf. And, uh, of course, the last float in the parade comes through, and they've got Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus sitting, uh, sitting there. And, and it's such a, a magical time. And I'll be honest, as I'm looking at all those other floats, I had a little bit of float envy. A little bit of float envy, because I'm looking, and, and, and I'm thinking, our float, let's see if you can show our float. Like, our float was so simple. I mean, there, there, there wasn't a ton of lights There wasn't a ton of creativity. It was just simple. It wasn't professional. All we had was was Mary and Joseph and and a baby lying in a manger and a couple shepherds and an angel. And I I remember sitting there thinking, man, I got to figure out how I can spruce this up next year. Like I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I wonder if I could wrap baby Jesus in a a strand of lights. 
You know, I'm sitting here thinking, like, like, what if we had a disco ball above the manger? And what if Mary and Joseph, what if they put on like those 70s, like those jackets from the 70s that are bright and flashy and they were dancing? You know, like, what if, what, what can I do to spruce up this float? And then it kind of dawned on me. Like this right here, this is the hope of Christmas. This is the hope of... It, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born, it wasn't elaborate. There was no disco ball. It wasn't professionally designed. In fact, as God was, defi- just God was trying to decide, how do I announce my coming into the world? Like, this is what God chose. He chose a dirty, not very well-lit stable. He chose a teenage pregnancy. He chose Joseph from Bethlehem. You might as well say Joseph from, from Wapato or Joseph from Wiley City or some place that you don't want to be known as being from. No offense. No offense. He chose two larm, lowly farmhand shepherds. And this is what God chose to bring together to announce the miracle of Christmas. The hope for the world. And it hardly seems like we do enough fanfare, we do enough justice without having anything more elaborate than just this. So today we're going to look at this idea about the simplicity of Christmas. The simplicity of Christmas. In fact, there's, there's a story in the Bible in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Um, you can turn there if you like. You don't have to turn there. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 in a little bit. Uh, but in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, King David, um, he was the greatest king in Israel, and he was at the peak of his success. He had just gone in and conquered the stronghold of Jerusalem. He had brought the, the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's presence. He brought that into Jerusalem, which is a major victory. And, and King David, of all the times, this is like the peak of his success. And, and, and he had this similar idea about, you know what? God needs more. God needs something greater. And so, so David, David goes up to the, to the, to the, uh, to the prophet, goes to, goes to the prophet. And this is what he says. He says, Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to David the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. David says, wait a second. Like, I'm in this great, wonderful house. I'm in this mansion fit for a king. I'm in this great place. And God's in a tent. He said, it just doesn't seem like God deserves more than just a tent. He said, something is wrong here. Like, God deserves so much greater than this. And so, and so David has this great idea. And he goes and he asks the prophet, hey, here's what I want to do. I want to build a house for God. And I want you to, to think about Nathan's response. Because this is what verse 3 says. It says, And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Without any thought, Nathan says, Go for it. Go, go, go do it. And, and you begin to wonder, like, like why, did, why was he so quick to say, Go for it, David. Go build the house. Go do what you want to do. The Lord's with you. Like maybe, like maybe as a parent, you understand, like you're doing something, you're busy, maybe you're, you're watching Netflix, or maybe you're working on something, and the kids come in and, and ask you a question. You're not, you know, you're, you're preoccupied, so you're not really listening. And so, so, you know, the kids come in, and they say, hey, hey, dad, can I, can I build some wings, and can I push my brother off the roof to see if he can fly? 
And you're distracted. You're like, sure, go for it. Like 10 minutes later, you're like, what did he just say? And then you run outside and you see your, your, your kids on the roof. And you're like, oh, no, that's not what I was, was meaning. And I wonder if, if maybe Nathan was a little bit distracted. Because what we find is, is that night, Nathan goes to, goes to bed. And God uh, gives, tells Nathan, he says, no, David's not going to build me a house. You spoke too soon. Perhaps Nathan was distracted when he was approached. He said, sure, David, whatever you want, little buddy. Go for it. You're the king. Do what you want. But here, here's maybe another thought as to why Nathan was so quick to grant permission to David. Okay? Perhaps one of the reasons that Nathan agreed so quickly to, to David's idea was maybe Nathan thought, like you and I think, like maybe Nathan thought, like, like we, we love the lush, we love the lavish, we love the showy, we love the outward appearance, and we begin to think, hey, these are the things that I want. So naturally, I would assume God wants these same things. So maybe Nathan is sitting there saying, well, sure, I, if I was God, I would want a flashy house. I'd want a big something rather. And so certainly God will want the same thing. And so he readily agrees. Because we have this idea that bigger is better. Fancy is better. Everything should be uh, bigger and better and more fancier. And if we like that, then shouldn't God like that as well? Like if we want big and great things for us, then shouldn't God, shouldn't we want God to have those same things just like us? Think about this. When I was, when I was 14 years old, I had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. I was there for uh, three days. Way too short to be in Washington, D.C. But we were there for three days. And we went to this address called 1600 uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. Anybody know that address? That's the White House. That is the White House. And this was a, a magnificent building. And you're standing outside and you've got these, these, these gates outside. You can't get in. You've got security all around it. You've got guys with guns on top of the roof. And you understand, hey, this building is significant. And because there's a, a lot of power that is reserved in that building. And people typically who go into that building are people who are powerful, who have influence. Think about pictures you've seen of Buckingham Palace, where the queen lives. You think about these ideas of power and the influence that are contained within those buildings. And Nathan, seeking David's house that undoubtedly would be magnificent, surely he's thinking, man, the all-powerful God, the God who is greater than any president of the United States, the God who is greater than the Queen of England, the God who is greater than David himself, certainly deserves better than all of them. Because that's who God is. God is greater than anyone who would ever live. So certainly God deserves better than all of them. And that's the kind of glitz and power that we value as human beings. We want the bigger and the greater. And we assume that God is interested in, in the similar things that we are. And so, as Nathan perhaps was thinking that day, man, God's worthy of an earthly house much greater than David, much greater than you or I or the president or the queen of England. He said, sure, go for it. But as I said, that night, God spoke to Nathan and said, no, there's no need for that right now. And so you begin to wonder, well, what does this story have to do with you and me and Christmas? How does this all fit in together? Because let's be honest. Like if God asked you and I to be in charge of his 
coming out party. Like if, if God chose us to be uh, in charge of the party that reveals God coming into humanity, I mean, what kind of party would we throw? Like wouldn't there be, wouldn't there be loud music and bright lights? Like I'd probably have parades announcing the birth of the Son of God. I'd probably have the stars, like a line to spell out His name, Jesus, in the stars. I'd have lots of excitement because this, I want to have a royal entry for the royal Son of God. But Luke chapter 2, it tells the story of the birth of Jesus. And this is what Luke chapter 2 says. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find him, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Luke says, here's the sign. You're looking for the Savior. Here's the sign that you will see. You will see the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Think about this. This is a sign. This is, this is how God told people, this is how you're going to know that the Savior is here. I mean, I mean, think about this way. If you had a family member who, who maybe they lived in Australia or, or, or Canada or some other weird place, and, and they moved to the United States and they said, hey, hey, I'd really like to go and meet the president. Like, 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 like what would you tell them? Oh, you'd say, well, you know, here's what you need to do. You need to fly to Washington, D.C. And you need to look for, for a really big white house because because that's going to be the house where the president lives and you need to look you need to look for the airplane that says air force one on the side of it because that's his plane and you need to listen for the band listen to the music because the band is going to play hail to the chief and you can listen to the band playing that song and you would know these are the signs that this is the president and you'd look and you'd see this man who's surrounded by police officers and these plain clothes officers that usually wear dark suits and sunglasses and usually have a little earpiece that has a little string that rings down the back. And if you watch them, they'll, they'll, they'll raise their hand up to their mouth so they can speak. That's what the Secret Service guys do. That's what they all do. Did you know that they don't have to wear sunglasses? That's not a part of their costume. That's just what they normally... Okay, side note. Sorry about that. You, you look for the man that's got all these guys around him. He said, you, you look for the man that, that's probably got all sorts of reporters around him and people with cameras taking pictures of him. These are the signs of the president. The, 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 the pomp, the ceremony, the security, the publicity. Like These are the signs that this guy is the president. And what was the sign that God gave that he came into the world? A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. First Timothy chapter 3 tells us that God indeed, we confess, it's a mystery. this is a mystery of godliness, that he was manifest in the flesh. This is what it looks like. This is a sign that God became one of us. And somehow, all those years ago, 
people missed it. People missed the birth of Jesus. They missed the sign because they weren't looking for a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. They were looking for a a political reformer. They were looking for the next president that was going to solve all of the country's problems. They were looking for someone who would deliver them from from Roman domination. They certainly weren't looking for a baby. So listen, here's, here's what Jesus says. He says, this is the simplicity of Christmas. This is a sign I give to you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Listen, there's a couple things that we can learn. There's a couple things that this sign is going to teach us about what this baby lying in a manger means for us today. The first thing that this sign teaches us is it teaches us of the humanity of Jesus. See, the text says you'll find a baby. And listen, I looked up the word, the, the Greek word for baby, and you know what it means? It means a baby. It means an infant. It means, it means a newborn. And, and what, what the, the text is trying to tell us is that, is that Christ came like every one of us. He came as a baby. Mary, she carried that baby in her stomach for, for nine months before she gave birth. And he was born just like you and I. He was a, a human being. And this is important for us to, to recognize and understand because this, this, this gives us this, this theological word called the Incarnation. It means that God left heaven and came down to be one of us. This was God in the flesh. He was fully God, 100% God. But through this birth, God took humanity upon himself and he became one of us. My kids like to watch uh, some of these movies, and there's a, there's a movie of Percy Jackson. You've got these demigods that are like half God and half human. But Jesus was no demigod. He was fully 100% God and also fully 100% man. He didn't cease to be God when he came to the earth. No, he laid aside the outward glory so he could become a human being like us. You say, well, well, what's the significance of, of Jesus' humanity? Like, like, who cares about this? And this is why. Because this is a central truth to Christianity. This is foundational to us to understand what Christianity is all about. Without the incarnation, we don't have Christianity. God entered human history as a way to provide salvation. He did what we could not do. He, 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 he did, God did for us, through Jesus, what we cannot do on our own. And this is why we say this is so foundational for us to understand the humanity of Jesus, that he was fully God and fully human being. Because if Jesus wasn't born, listen, there's no dying for sin. If Jesus wasn't born, then there's no resurrection from the grave defeating Satan and hell and sin and anything that will keep us down. If Jesus didn't be born, if he wasn't born, then there is no salvation. There is no eternity. There is no heaven. There is no hope. There is no peace. Like, this is why it is so significant we understand the humanity of Jesus. Why he, being born, is so important for us to understand. He had to become one of us. Because no other way would have made salvation possible. The second thing that this sign of the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger that teaches us 
is it teaches us the humility of Jesus. So you find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. See, I remember when my wife gave birth to each of our kids. Now, our very first kid, our oldest, who's 14 right now, um, when he was born, um, I remember we're we're in the delivery room, and the nurse says, "Um, I think you need to go sit down. I'm like, I'm not missing this. And she goes, yeah, but your face is as white as a ghost. And I'm afraid you're going to fall down and and pass out. And I don't want to stop and deal with you. I'm going to deal with the baby. So you go lay down right now, or I'll make you lay down. I'm like, all right, nurse, whatever you say. But I laid down and got right back up. There's no way I'm going to miss the birth of my child. But I remember Cameron was born, and and they were like, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? And I'm like, no, no way. I can't do that. And it's fun because as our kids, uh, we had more kids, I kept having more practice. And finally, I don't know, maybe on the third one, Hudson, I, I finally learned how to cut the umbilical cord. I wasn't afraid to do it. Went and did it. But the thing about the birth of our kids, like they were born, and they were born in a, in a sterile hos- hospital room. I mean, it's a clean place. You've got, you've got doctors who have clean scrubs on, and they've got gloves, and they, they wash their hands, and, and you've got a clean setting. You've got, you've got nurses who, who take the baby and they wrap the baby in, in a warm, clean blanket. And they place that baby on my wife's arms. And I'm kind of hovering, trying to get my head in there, trying to see the situation, see what's happening, see the beauty of the baby. Listen, when Jesus was born, there was no hospital. There was no, there was no sterile birthing room. There was no doctor with clean hands. There was no nurses. He was born in a stable. Remember, there's no room at the inn. And so they sent him into the stable to be born. And now listen, when we think about stable, we like to think about like the Christmas pageants. Because all the Christmas pageants we've seen, you've got this cute little stable, and it looks clean and cute, maybe some straw on the side. But that wasn't what a stable was like back then. A stable was a dirty place. A stable, a stable was, a, was, a, was a smelly place. It was a place made for animals. I mean, you think about this. Think about driving to Seattle. And as you're driving to Seattle, you get past Ellensburg, and you get ready to go up the hill to Indian John. And you, you look out on the right side. There's a couple of uh, just open fields, and you see a couple of these barns. And if you see these old barns, okay, you can see through them because the, the wood is kind of rotten out. You see the barns. They're kind of leaning over, and you kind of feel like, man, if I just pushed that thing, the whole thing would come tumbling over. Like, like think about that. Like, that's the type of stable. Like, that's the kind of place. Think about a place that is old, uh, wood needs to be replaced, smells like manure. Like that's the kind of place that Jesus was born. They said they wrapped him in swaddling cloths. These were strips of cloth uh, to protect him from the harsh elements. So what they would do is they would take these cloths and they'd they'd wrap the baby's legs and then they'd wrap the baby's arms and then they'd wrap the the rest of his body. And he kind of looked like an Egyptian mummy. Because again you're lacking some of the things that that we have in our modern society. So this was the way to provide kind of a crude um, element of of protection for the baby. And here's the baby in an exposed stable, a dirty, smelly place. And they place the baby in a manger. This isn't the cute manger that we see in our nativity scenes. This is a feeding trough where they fed animals in. And this right here is God's anointed sign. Jesus, Savior of mankind, has now come. A baby wrapped in swaddly clothes 
lying in a manger in a dirty, stinky stable. Yet this is true incarnation, the incarnation of Jesus. This is what Philippians 2, 7 means, where it says that he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. See, nothing on that day appeared to be supernatural. There were no halos around. There was no paparazzi with with flashing cameras taking pictures of the new royal baby. There was no choir singing. And if you would have been there, if you would have peeked into that stable, you would have concluded, man, that's just a poor young couple down on their luck having a baby. And maybe, maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point God wanted us to understand is when we consider the ways of God, and God's ways are not like our ways. God's thoughts are not like our thoughts. And this gets to the crux of this whole, I think what this sign teaches us. Third thing this sign teaches is it teaches us the simplicity of the Christmas story, as well as the simplicity of the gospel. See, the Christmas story, many of us, many of us, we've heard a thousand times. Like, we know Okay, Jesus was born in a manger, uh, uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes. The angels came. Uh, the shepherds came. Okay, we, we've heard the story a thousand times. We, we get it. And we begin to think, well, we need to, we need to spruce up the story. Like, we need, to, we need to create some excitement and, and bring some creativity. We need to spice up the story. And this is why, this is why when we go through the lighted parade, we look at all the other, all the other floats and we say, man, we need to add something to our float. We need to add something. This is why we, we look at other families. We look at other families do. We say, man, we've got to do more this Christmas and make it a, a bigger deal. This is why we look at other churches and what other churches do. And we say, man, we've got to do something bigger for Christmas. We've got to do a big show because we want people to hear about the, the, the story of Christmas. And then I remember that my thoughts are not like God's thoughts and my ways are not like God's ways. Because God's surprising sign his revelation that the Savior is born is a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This would seem like an unlikely beginning of a movement that's going to change the world. And it kind of serves as a rebuke to, to some of us in here. It kind of serves as a, as a rebuke to some of us who we love the pomp. We love the outward glory. We love the bright lights and the fancy things. And we, sometimes we despise the small things of the world. Listen, Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world as a small thing. God didn't need anything fancy. God wasn't trying to impress the world. No, in fact, the reason that Jesus came, it wasn't to impress us. He came to give. Because that night, when the Savior was born, He came to give hope. He came to give love. He came to give us a promise. He came to give us a future. He came to give us a new beginning so that we would have no fear of the end. In fact, this is so simple, this Christmas story. It is so simple that that everyone, minus a few smelly shepherds and some guides who were from a far-off land, the Magi, everybody else missed it. No one else noticed the signs. It was too simple for them way back then. And many times it's too simple for us now. We think we've got to add to it. We've got to bring more out of it. 
And this is the simplicity of the Christmas message. Not the big lights, not the big show, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I think this is such a simple story. And it kind of fits with the simplicity of the gospel as well. The gospel story is the good news, the good news of Jesus. And the question is, do we understand the simplicity of the gospel story? Because here's, here's what the gospel tells us. Okay? We were created. When God created us, he created us to be in communion with him. Like we were to have ultimate peace with him and, and communion with him. Uh, but then something happened. Sin entered the world. Adam and, Adam and Eve, uh, they, they ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat and allowed sin into the world. And this created separation between God and man. When that sin entered the world, you and I now experience separation between us and God. And, and that left a hole in our heart. That left this large hole in our heart. And what we've been doing for, for thousands of years, is we've been trying all sorts of things to fill that hole. We think, I've got this hole, so I'm going to find all these other things to try and fill that hole to give me that peace, to give me that communion that I was created for. And so we try, we try status by, by being successful. We try relationships, thinking relationships will complete us. We, we, we think money, we think appearance, we think good works or religion. If I just am, am a good enough person, that'll fill the hole inside of my heart. And honestly, there are many of us in here who've been trying so many things to, to fill that hole in our heart. And it never satisfies. It never completes us. We never experience that peace that we desperately long for. Yet because of God's love for us, he made a way to bring us back into communion with him and to give us that peace that we long for. He sent his son Jesus into the world, born as a baby. He lived a perfect life that none of us could live. And he died on the cross as a payment for our sin. And after he died, three days later, he rose from the grave, giving God victory over Satan and sin and death and hell, and allowing Jesus to become our victorious Savior. And here's the simplicity. Here's what God asks in us in return. He asks for us to repent and to have faith. He asks for us to repent and turn from our sinful ways. And trust God. And he asks us to have faith. Faith and abandon any hope, anything else. That we would place our hope solely in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And it almost becomes too simple for us to believe. Like all we have to do is have faith in Jesus. It almost becomes too simple. Just like that Christmas story becomes too simple. And this is where I'm personally challenged. Because I'm thinking, what do I need to do? What do I need to add to God's message? There's nothing I can add to it. It is so simple, yet so powerful. That Christmas story of a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It is so simple, but it is so powerful in and of itself. That gospel message, it is so simple, yet it is truly life-giving, life-changing. And what if, we, what if we just 
began to pull back us trying to add to the story? What if we, we, we pulled back trying to give the big show and make things a big production? And what if we went back to the simplicity of the baby in a manger? What if, we, what if we went back to the simplicity of a Savior who came to give his life as a ransom? And all we have to do is place our faith in him as our Savior. Let me just give you a couple of closing thoughts. See, I know the temptation at the Christmas season is to go all out. I know that temptation. You want to have the house perfect. You want to have things just right so when the family comes over, it's a peaceful setting. You want to have all the decorations put up. You want to have all sorts of goodies and all sorts of good things for people to eat. You want to have, have the perfect gifts for everybody in the family. You want to have the, the, the best Christmas parties and the best celebrations with your family. And, and you want to get that perfect picture where everybody's smiling just perfectly. And you're going to take a thousand pictures to get that one picture that everybody's looking in the same direction and nobody's crying. Listen, don't miss the simpleness of Christmas. Like, we rob ourselves of the simpleness of Christmas by, by trying to add too much to something that's already great. Listen, I know we're already two weeks away from Christmas. But what if you made a commitment today? What if you made a, a commitment to choose love and laughter over the hustle and bustle? What if you made a commitment to walk into the Christmas season instead of trying to run? What if you made a commitment to smile through the season instead of stressing through the season? What if you made a commitment of choosing God's beautiful Christmas? Simple, yet special. That's the call today. Let's come back to the simplicity of the message of Christmas. A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Because that was God's call to us. This is how we know the Savior. Listen, secondly, can I encourage you to respond to the simple call of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We've heard the gospel story of Jesus coming into the world, living the life we couldn't live, and dying on the cross for us. And you know what he asks in us return? He asks that we repent of our sins and we place our faith in him. Listen, maybe today this is your response. It's the simplicity. Hey, it almost seems too simple, but just place your faith in him today. And let me tell you, there's a, there's a whole sense of peace and wholeness that God has offered you if you just place your faith in him. This is all he asks. Don't over... Uh, Make it difficult on yourself. Just, just, just have faith that he is who he says he is. That he's done what he said he has done. And he loves you. Charles Spurgeon, speaking on the same passage, he said this. He said, those who come to Christ in simple faith shall truly find peace. Listen, I invite you today to place your faith in Jesus. To turn from your sinful ways to place your faith in Jesus and experience that simple peace that he's offered to us. And thirdly, man, we could come up and, and we could have a great show here at Restoration Church. The flashy lights, the, 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 big, the, big, the big production. 
Or we could say, this is what God has given us. A baby wrapped in swaddly clothes and lying in a manger. And maybe for us today, maybe we just need to come back to that same story. And we need to worship that story. We need to worship that baby that he sent into the world to be, the, to be, to be God in the flesh, in humility, to bring salvation. And I want to encourage you, just take a few minutes right now, without the show, and just come and worship God. Just come and worship Him for who He is and for what He's done through the baby in a manger. We're going to have the worship team come up and we're going to have a couple of songs of response. And I want to encourage you, spend some time right now in your seat just praying, crying out to God, confessing your sin, praising Him for sending Jesus into the world so you can experience peace. And then stand up and just, just sing praise to our Savior. Sing praise to who He is and what He's done for us. Would you pray with me? God, I just uh, come before you today and just praise you for who you are. God, the fact that you, you are perfect in all things. Perfect in all of your ways. And God, as we look at the Christmas story, we look at the Christmas message, God, it was so simple. Something that many of us would look over. If we were there, we wouldn't have, most of us wouldn't have even taken notice. God, it's what you've given to bring hope into the world. So God, I pray that you give us that simple faith to believe in in the Savior. And we believe that Jesus is our Savior. God, I pray that you help us just to to lean in, that your, your, your spirit would rest on us now. That we would experience that peace that you've offered. God, I pray that you help us to respond spend time now as we think about the busyness of the season. God, we wouldn't be too busy to miss the baby in the manger. We wouldn't be too busy to miss the, the true hope that you offer through Jesus. Help us now, God, just to center our heart. Center our heart around the simpleness of the Christmas story. To experience your peace. To experience your love. Help us now to respond to your word today. We feel your presence. Respond to who you are. Jesus, we love you and praise you. And I ask this in your name. Amen.